Hi, this is Mandy Thomas. And I'm Kagan Moore, and this is The Fourth Degree. A podcast from WWL-TV in New Orleans, where we talk to people in the news about the news. I'm Mandy. I'm the social media editor here at WWL-TV. I'm Kagan. I produce a local lifestyle and entertainment talk show called The 504. And this podcast uh, kind of came about because we wanted to talk to people in the business, behind the scenes, and in front of the camera about what it's like to bring these stories to our community here in New Orleans and the greater New Orleans area. Yeah, we just felt like these reporters had so much more than just a minute and 30 package that they wanted to share on air, that there's um, stories behind the stories, so to speak. Our guest today is Mike Haas, Eyewitness Morning News anchor. Mike has worked at WWL-TV for 28 years, and recently he decided to take his career in a new direction. But before he leaves, we wanted to sit down and talk with him about his time here at the station and in New Orleans. Mike, welcome. Thank you. This is cool. I get to hang out with Mandy and Kagan. Very nice. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. This is going to be fun. You know, I don't think I've ever done one of these. Really? Yeah. This has been cool. Yeah, we've done a few, and I think everybody's, you know, had a had an okay time. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. The, the unique part about it is I hope in the, the plan as it stands now, yes, I am leaving to begin a new chapter, but the goal is to maintain a relationship and to still do stories for WWL one a week, we hope, to just kind of, you know, I, I don't, this is my family, and so I don't want to leave my family, though it's time to start a new chapter as well. So I'm, I'm hoping to kind of have my cake and eat it too. So we'll see if, if it works out. That's, that's my goal. And that's what we've talked about so far. So it's kind of countdown to your departure. I don't want to make it sound yeah, so it's weird. morbid. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, but for a lot of people, I think it kind of feels, you know, it, it's a sad time because you've been here for so long and you've been a mentor to so many different people and a great example. So I'm just wondering, like, what are your feelings? What are you feeling well, right it's, now? It's different. It's, it is the weirdest kind of, and I won't use the word goodbye, it's the weirdest kind of departure because right now, I, I a month ago, we've put a post on Facebook about Haas Communications and what we were going to be doing. And so, but then that next day I was back on the anchor desk and I've been there. And so people are like, wait, I thought he was leaving. What's going on? So, oh, so I'm not technically, I haven't left or anything yet. And so the, the end date for me anchoring is March 9th. So after March 9th, I won't, you won't literally see me on the anchor desk. And I really haven't been around much post-morning show, I go out and work cost communication. So if you see, if you're here in the morning, like Mandy and Kay, and you guys see me, you go, Mike's not gone. If you come in at later in the day, mm-hmm. I'm gone. Yeah. And so it, and yet, and, and it's not, I want to continue the relationship. So it, it's kind of a, it is going to be a unique kind of a, so long. So yeah, it's kind of a, I don't want to, th- it's, it's still too far away for me to think about, like really think about, you know, so I'm just trying to focus on, on, on other stuff. Yeah. But are you also, like, excited? You're yeah. rejuvenated? You... Yeah, you know, it's weird. It's like, well, what do you, you know, it's not like I'm going to do, um, you know, sell tennis rackets. I'm going to tell stories, <laughs> you know. I, I'm only qualified for a few things, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and so I'm not going to be doing surgery. Uh, I, we're going to tell stories. We, we, Tom Moore, the photographer who had been here 30-plus years, and I are going to tell stories for websites and social media and you know stories for channel four and it's it's kind of what we like to do it's the positive news that that people always say that they don't always get i mean you know and so the idea is you know as we as our logo is we're, we're a digital newsroom we we tell stories for companies for hospitals for universities whatever brand awareness but it has to be a story it has to be real if you try to sell the widget as you guys well know yeah people are out on yeah. social media if you try to sell something they're out and they can smell it a mile away mm-hmm. so that's the future but we want to take it back a little yes bit. so you came to new orleans in the late 80s uh for the first time for an interview with wwl for a sports a job in the sports department um and it just happened to be on the same weekend that the mardi gras carnival season here was ramping up so this is your first time in new orleans and and carnival is kind of happening all around you what was your first impression of the city 
oh, I thought this place was whacked. But a good way, a good <laughs> whack. I mean, they were, you know, when I had never been here. Again, it's, it's not like I'd been here as a, you know, spring break. When I'd never set foot here. And we stayed in the French Quarter. Let's see, we, it was me. And I was working in Lubbock, Texas at the time. And, um, I, you know, my weekend anchor, sports anchor in Lubbock, had tried to get the job here and didn't get it. So his tape had come back. That's how I knew there was an opening. I went, I need to get to New Orleans. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll apply. And at the time, this shows you how long ago it was for people out there. This was the spot Chris Myers had. Chris Myers was the was the opening I filled. He went on to ESPN and now, you know, Fox News National. Uh, and so it was a long time ago. But and so, yeah, it was just like, oh, oh what, where am I? What am I? What is this? And so, but it was wild. And so it was nice, but it was quick. I mean, the interview was a day, spent the night, and, you know, kind of out of here. And I was like, well, gosh, that was neat. But, I, you know, it took a while. like a, It took a month to get the job offer. I didn't think I was going to get it. You know, usually after the interview, if you didn't get a call right away, you know, you didn't get it. And so it, it took a while. So, But it was, it, was, it was a wild first impression. Well, and you're originally from Virginia, is that right? Yeah, right outside of Washington, D.C. If It would be... The equivalent of Laplace to New Orleans, Manassas, Virginia, um, you know, used to be a small little town suburb of D.C., but now, gosh, D.C.'s gotten so big, it's, it feels like it's part of D.C. And you went to college on a golf scholarship. I did. I was very fortunate as a young person. My parents got me involved in golf, and I just loved it, and I played as a kid all over the country. I'm like 13 years old and 14, and, you know— Thought I was a pretty good golfer. I, I was lucky enough to go to James Madison University on a golf scholarship. And I was also lucky enough to learn about two and a half years in that I was going to be a very poor professional golfer. <laughs> I was going to be bad. That I'd go, ooh, I'm going to need a career. I had never thought of anything since eight years older than being a professional golfer. I don't even sure what my major was at the time. I think it was just golf. And I was like, whoa, I'm gonna, I got to, hmm. And so I bounced around a little bit. But, yeah, it was, it was fun. I, 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 you know, I miss golf. I love golf. I uh, don't play it as much now as I would like to. But, yeah, I was, I was very lucky as a kid and lucky as a teenager and lucky to have gone to James Madison on a golf scholarship. But you knew you loved sports. Yeah. So that led you to sports it did. broadcasting. It, it, led me to, it led me to the uh, – I was, again, when I stopped, when I stopped knowing that my golf career was going to be, you know, non-existent, Started looking at other majors, and I was in a fraternity, Sigma Nu, and a buddy of mine worked at the college radio station. It was a FM station, but it was a public radio. Um, and so one night after, I think the statute of limitations is up on the story. I'm, pro- I'm probably okay to tell it. <laughs> one night at a fraternity party, he had to go to the radio station to do something, and some, you know, fell out some paperwork, really. But one of his friends was on, and so we went on the air. And... We had been partying for about the previous few hours. So my first taste of any media was following a fraternity party on the air, reading PSAs. And I'm quite sure we broke several FCC laws that (laughs) night. Quite sure. But for, you know, whatever it was, I just kind of went, wow, that was, you know, that that feeling when you go, wow, that I dug that. That was cool. And the next day, changed my major to uh, communications from golf. And uh, <laughs> the guy, uh, you know, Ted Swigert was the guy that took me down there. And uh, we're still friends. Uh, he, you know, he's not, he's out of communications. But uh, it was a unique start to that. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. WMRA Radio. And then from there, you went to Lubbock? Is that? No, gosh, you know, it was, it, it, this industry, you, you know, I started – I went out of college and I you couldn't get, it's not like at the time in college, you know, companies would come on campus for my friends were accounting majors or marketing. They'd come on and interview your seniors. Well, in communications, they didn't do that. You had to go get your job. So I left when I graduated, I didn't have a job. So I traveled in my car all through Virginia, just knocking on doors, trying to get a job. Got a, I got a part-time radio, AM radio job on the weekends reading news part-time AM radio weekends. So needless to say, I lived in my car, literally lived in it yeah. until, you know, got a job in Harrisonburg, back where JMU is, in television, just through a lucky break. The, the, the news director at the station 
taught classes at JMU, and I had taken one of his video classes. And, um, you know, you have to remember, this, this is a different time. This is, this, is this is 1984. The school had just started what would be now common on every college campus, their own little TV studio, their own TV station, whatever it might be. So this was the first year they'd ever done it. And they started a little 15-minute newscast called JMU Today, and I did sports, but I was happy as heck because I was going to be, you know, in my world on TV, not, not really like closed caption, I mean closed circuit. The tele, there was no teleprompter. The teleprompter was paper towels that I had written on, and they would roll underneath the camera. <laughs> and I would take it and just write on things, and they would roll it. And so you're never looking at the camera. You're always looking down, and if the paper towel got wet or, or broke. I mean, it was just I'm like – it was a rather, you know, crude beginning, technologically speaking. So I was very lucky, though, to get the job in Harrisonburg, spent a little time there, then went back to Charlottesville uh-huh. for television – then went to Lawton, Oklahoma oh my for my first job as a sports editor. I was in news. When I first started in TV, I was in news because there were just more jobs. It was easier getting a news job than it was a sports job. Every station had 10 people, two sports people, eight news people. So you, get, you could get a news reporter job, which I did. But I wanted to do sports. So I got a call um, from a news director in Lawton, Oklahoma. And I was in Virginia, and she wanted to talk to me about a weekend job. So I went, okay. So she goes, well, come on out. And I'm like, Okay. So there was no mention of airfare. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I was making at the time in Charlottesville roughly $14,000 a year, fourteen, fifteen, maybe. Wow. I, I was happy. Yeah. I had money. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't realize how destitute right. I was. So I got in my car. I drove to Lawton, Oklahoma, sat down. She goes, love your work. I'd like to hire you. I went, okay. Signed a piece of paper. Got back in my car. Drove back to Virginia. Wow. But then I went to Lubbock, Texas. I'm sorry. It's a, it's no. a well-traveled. That was all in like two years. Wow. It was very fast. But when I landed here, I was, I was 26. But I'd already had, you know, three, four jobs in television. You kind of you move quickly. You know, 14000 a year doesn't, uh, as I found out, really isn't very much money. <laughs> so that's when I went to Lubbock and then from Lubbock. I spent two years in Lubbock and then came here. And you did sports here at WWL-TV for? Mm, 13 years. I, I, I've got it written down somewhere. I started, I got here in early 89, you know, right uh, January, February. February 28th was my first day or 27th. That's my, that's like, ironically, I will literally almost cross, I will cross my 28th year, my anniversary, the, the Lundy Gras, and then Mardi Gras is the 28th. Um, so, yeah, weekend sports, Jim Henderson was the sports director. I mean, you know of a king at the time still is great writer great guy uh but i you know i did weekends for 12 and a half 13 years i worked weekends for a long time and it was good but it was you know you i missed a lot of growing of this city working weekends but it was fun i read a little bit about um you're talking about the difference between sports here in New Orleans or southern Louisiana compared to, like, other places and how, you know, the college uh, scene is kind of really huge and then the, the focus on, like, high school athletes and things like that. So being a sports reporter in Louisiana, was it exciting for you because there were so many people were so passionate about it? Maybe there were so many avenues to cover, things to explore. Yeah, it was mind-boggling. I mean, everybody will tell you, oh, wherever they live, our high school, it's really big here. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got it. I came from, I was in Texas, you know, believe me. They, they Football believe, is king in they, Texas. Right, they believe, yeah. you know. And so, but what I think the difference really here was, it was, you know, from playgrounds, you know, coaches on little bitty basketball playgrounds who are looking for a kid who might go to their high school in 10 years. I'm like, that, I, I could not wrap my head. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> I look at that six-year-old. He's a good player. I'm like, what do you, you know? So it, it starts at such a young age, but really it was the kind it was the women. It was the women and their passion and fervor at a Saints game. And it was across gender, across race. It was everybody. Now the Saints, you know, it was a different, they're a different animal than anything else. It, it, and so you know, everybody talks about how, how big sports is, but here from high school on up, it was just, it was like, wow. It was very, it was very proud. But just, they said there were a ton of stories, a ton of stories to do. Yeah. It was cool. Tell us about your interview with Von Johnson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, I'm, Tommy gave you some help on this one, I know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, once again, I believe the statute of limitations is up on some of these stories. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, fourth down, I hosted fourth down of four. It was a Sunday night half hour show, you know, which it, it still is. At the time, it was just a football season show. We weren't year round yet. So, Vaughn was a great guy. This was during the Dome Patrol years, and they were all good guys. Ricky, Sam, God, you know, bless us all. Uh, Vaughn and uh, Pat Swilling, you know. Great friends of Fourth Down, and they would always come. And this, you know, you if you've lived from 2006 on, you lived a different generation than I lived. I lived three and 13, five and 11. You know, it was brutal years. Although, you know, they won the NFC champ, uh, NFC uh, West at the time in '91, so they they were good for a few years, and then just went you know hard times. So it was sometimes, and they would come down to the studio. I would have to convince these guys after getting drilled on television to come down to the studio. So, but Vaughn was always good, and he was just Vaughn. He was just good, and he. So, I get a call when I'm in the studio, and they go, Vaughn's here, and I go, they go, look, he's pissed, and I'm like, oh god, what's what's going on? He'd like kick the door at the front door because he couldn't get in. You know, he went to the front door, which he never did. He always comes to the back, and he show he comes in the studio, sweating. And I'm like, hey, what's up, Vaughn? And I, his eyes were just glassy. And I'm like, hmm, all right. So Vaughn and some team members apparently had been out post-game prior to fourth down on four. So we start the interview, and we had two full segments. We had the first part of the show. The second part of the show was all Vaughn, you know, because he's good. You could, talk, you could ask him anything. And it was towards the end of the year, so I, they weren't going to the playoffs. So we were, we were talking about contracts and talking about the next year and – so I said, so, you know, we're kind of looking at the future and contract stuff. And he went, well, look at my shoes. And I went, oh, good Lord. He goes, aren't they nice? And he started talking about his contract. He goes, well, that kind of pissed me off. And I went, I could hear in my ear. The producer goes, all right, let's get him out of here. Let's get him out of here. <laughs> and uh, we did. And, you know, to this day, you know, he's, he's, you know, Fawn's, you know, he was, a, he was a great guy for us back in, back in those days. And, uh, you know, let's just say that tape, we never, we, we never found that tape. I don't know where that tape is. <laughs> that tape never surfaced again. So it was interesting. Oh, that's funny. That is really good. So uh, around 2001, you made the switch from sports to news. Yeah, back to news. Back to news. So you did some weekend anchoring. Yeah, I went from weekend sports to weekend news. (laughs) I switched seats. (laughs) What was that like for you? What was the transition from news, uh, from sports to news like? It was different. I mean, you know, as a, you guys will laugh because you've only kind of seen me, you know, from the morning show where I'm, I'm not the most serious person in the world but when I was a sports anchor we, we had fun but I was I was never really one of those crazy off the wall goofball sports guys you know I, I was I we treated it as a craft and and so and it was it was more of a return I had gotten to the point where I was like I can't I can't work weekends any longer 13 years I was 30 I don't know 37 whatever however I was old enough to know that we were having kids it was time to you know to make a move and, and got, you know, Jim was not going anywhere. And so I was like, I either got to leave the city, which I did not want to do or do you know, move back to news. And an opportunity came up to, to move back to news. And so it, 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 it was, it wasn't a hard, hard transition because I'd started in news, but it was, it was eye opening again. I mean, the whole, I mean, I knew high schools and, but I didn't know streets and neighborhoods as, as well as I could. So, but it was, Again, it was weird because I just literally went from this seat to that seat. And I was like, so let me get this right. The main reason you wanted to get out of, off weekends because you wanted you hate work, hated working weekends, and then you went and did what? The weekend anchor? Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I only did it for a couple of years, and, so, and then I moved to the 10 o'clock. But it, it was a, obviously it was, it was a good move, and I enjoyed it, and I was lucky um, to be able to make the move. And, um, you know, and here we are, you know, 28 years. So I guess it worked. And you got to work with Karen Swinson during the ten o'clock. I did. My, you know, I've I've had a, um, I've been blessed. I've had a lot of great co-anchors to this day, uh, with Sheba now, and uh, I worked with Karen when I first we first, when I first left weekend. She we worked together for like eight years on the ten o'clock news, and there's and our desks this, before the newsroom switched. Our desks were literally touching, 
and you, I mean, her phone and my phone were roughly eight inches apart. <laughs> there was no privacy. If she had a fight with her husband, if I had a fight with my wife, we both knew about it. Mm-hmm. We both had young young kids, and it was a challenging time for some. And it was just, and so you're just become one and the same. And she actually had lived at, at a time in Northern Virginia near me, and so. And so we actually had we knew some of the same people, which was really wild when we found that out. And so she, there is no finer person than Karen Swenson. There just isn't. She's just a good person. We had a great time. She's the most phenomenal. Probably does not get as much accolades of being the writer that she is. She's a phenomenal writer. I have been able to steal from t- two of the very best in my career, and that is Jim Henderson and Karen Swenson. I have stolen from the best, baby. And so, you know, and we're, you know, best friends to this day, and uh, I was just lucky. I was just lucky to get to get that opportunity to work with her. Well, we spoke with Karen yesterday um, just to ask her about some of her favorite memories about you, <laughs> and she said that she likened your relationship to the odd couple. And she said that she referred to herself as Oscar, and that you were Felix because you were so organized and her stuff would just kind of be all over the place and you would give her flack about it. I'm a little OCD. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I don't, she actually said OCD. She yeah, said... I'm a little OCD. She said that. Uh, you know, I have I like things in their spot. I like my phone here and my glasses here and my coffee cup. You know, I like things neat and orderly. It drives my wife crazy. It drives my kids crazy. And Karen is not that. She's not messy. Sheba is not that so we uh you know and so i would you know her stuff would kind of creep over into my area and she knew it would drive me crazy uh and i would keep the yellow post-it notes and i just you know from my head i would just go if something came in my head i want to remember i'd write it on a post-it note and put it up and so after a while she'd come in she'd go is this a beautiful mind? I mean, literally post-it notes were like taking over the corner and so she's like so we had did she tell you the um the mint story? No, not the mint story, but we'd yeah. love to hear it. Oh, okay. So Altoids. We again we co-anchored together. Our desks are six inches apart. So in her desk drawer, she'd have one of those huge cans of Altoids, the big tins. I'm talking six inches. And so we'd go before we rent, we'd all to be both take an Altoid, take an Altoid. And so she goes, Gosh, this is a big can, man. This thing's never gonna finish. So I thought this would be cool. So we kept doing it every week. I would get another can and I would put whatever we would take out of that week, I would put the same number of Altoids roughly back in. I would just keep every week I'd add a handful <laughs> of Altoids. And after I'd go, wow, this this thing lasts forever. And she's like, I can't believe it. This thing, it just, it's unbelievable. And it weeks, more Altoids, more Altoids, more Altoids. I, mean, I, I can't remember what, what finally got to me the point of like telling her how, who told her. But she's, she's that, that she's a, she's a sweet believing person and I'm an evil person trying to play a practical joke but that was like this is unbelievable <laughs> these Altoids last forever <laughs> so it was a great relationship we had, we, had, we had a blast and still do she also wanted to ask me why would you look at her then and now for years she said and you would say I would kill myself <laughs> in jest obviously a jest in jest we don't exactly. no we Thank don't you. but it was because we're we're somewhat different people, and she would do something I don't know, checkbooks and keys and phones and I don't know just stuff that would drive me crazy if I were her husband, and I would go I would say that line but I would go I would go crazy if I were your husband that's that's where it stems from just well, then she would say the same thing about me because I'm like you know we need to put this cup over here and then, you know, she's like, oh my God, I would kill myself if I were married to you. Again, so that was just the line and so that's what it was. So we, we were, maybe that's what it was. We are very different. I mean, she and I, I mean, could you find a more odd couple? And Karen and I were, were very different except we both had very big hearts and uh, she was uh, she's just just good good people. Well, speaking of Sheba, we also spoke with her. No, Lord. And she said that till this day, you are saved in her phone as Professor Haas. Yeah. Because when she was um, an AP, an associate producer at the station, you would work with her um, on her reporting skills and her and her high pitched voice. And she said that you were really great with uh, any question that she had about reporting and different things like that. So still to this day, in her phone, you're labeled as Professor Hawes. I, I think probably she doesn't know how to change it. Is probably the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, dang, gone this game. So yeah, you know, it, it, Sheba is a unique 
individual. I remember, and you know, to this day, we were all sitting in the news director's office, which was at that time Bill Siegel, like all the managers. And she came in because she'd wanted an AP job, and she was an intern, and she just busted in and, and was Sheba. It was just all Sheba, boom. And and she left, and she was trying to get an AP producer, whatever it was, and we were all just looking at each other and went, what was that? She needs to, we need to put, get her, this girl on the air. And she was young, and she was green, and she, you know, so, but, you know, like anything else, she she got on the AP producer desk, learned to write, learned to tell a story, Worked with her voice, you know, which just comes with being comfortable. And uh, so, yeah, we, you know, if it, there's no, well, the beauty about Sheba is always that Sheba Sheba. It is what it is. You get what you get. You see what you see. That's the package. And um, it's uh, it's been a blast. I feel like I've, I feel like, you know, it's, I mean, literally, she is a, you know, young black woman from New Orleans. I'm an old white guy from Virginia. How this pair could ever work to the degree that it does is, you know, is kind of unique, but we have a blast and she makes me feel old and young at both the same time, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. I think um, when I look at social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, things like that, people online seem to love you guys' relationship and how you get along, whether it's through the viral videos or just kind of daily pictures that you guys take together. So, uh, has maybe she opened you up to maybe oh like a, a new audience or yeah. like a different? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, what worries me is that I don't I don't think I've ever said no to her. All right, Mike, come over here, put one arm over your head, and then dance like a chicken over to the wall. <laughs> um, okay, ding, 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 you know. And so you know, and she goes, "Okay, I got it." Okay, it's on Instagram. I Snapchatted it, and like, all right, whatever, you know. And so yeah, we, you know, she is. It is. She has kind of opened up this new world of, uh, you know, we all do social media, and, you know, because that's our world now, and from a, from a television standpoint and and journalism in and of itself. But you know, she was just always kind of a step ahead and ten steps ahead of me. But and so, it's 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 unique. You don't have very many opportunities in our business to be able to show the audience kind of a little really who you are and how much fun and really what the behind the scenes are. You couldn't do that 15 years ago. You just read the news. And so we have this, and, and it has to be real. If it's not real, people know it. And so and it, it's just, we enjoy each other's company that she knows I won't, I will say yes to pretty much anything she wants me to do dancing wise, which is, you know, whatever and, uh, <laughs> you're a and, dancing machine yeah. Mike don't play it down okay and so you know don't play it, it, it works it works but uh yeah it's 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 opened up a uh, a new audience let's say that definitely so we want to take it now to we'll take it back a little bit to 2010 with the Super Bowl we talked to Doug Mouton about um you guys time uh covering the Saints in that national championship run and so this was a time where, you know, you were doing morning news and you were anchoring, but now you're thrown kind of back into sports. Right. And I'm sure before then you were maybe dabbling a little bit and going back and forth, mm-hmm. but this was a big one. This was a huge one. And so he talked about when you guys were in South Florida, how you just, he said you ran the show. He said you were amazing. <sighs> he said there were so many moving pieces and parts. You made sure that everybody was on the same page and working towards the same goal and kind of pushing out those packages and... Yeah, it was, you know, we, we had a lot of people down there. That was a, you know, huge deal, sets and trucks and people. And, you know, at the same time, we had an election back here. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we could just, you know, take everybody. But, and so you just needed, you had different, we were 24-7. We had morning show with a set, noon set, 5, 6, 10, and you had shifts and people and special shows. And, you know, I've always kind of, you know, I don't think at the time I was managing editor of the newsroom. In fact, I know I wasn't. But it just kind of needed somebody to kind of just drive the train. Even if I drove it off the tracks, we just needed somebody to drive the train. And so it was a it was a special time. I mean, we had a lot of people doing a lot of great work. And it was, you know, they won, of course. But, I mean, we were there from – you know, 10 days and we did a lot of great stuff and it was a very special, special time uh, to be on the field at the end of the game um, to just, you know, I, half of me was like so 
kind of awestruck, like, here I am, and the confetti was flying, and I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world. And the other half is me, I'm standing here in an orange vest by myself on the field with a briefcase and a suit. I'm like, I want to be with my family who are running up and down the streets of New Orleans screaming. And so it was unique, the coolest thing in the world to be there. And also, I would have given anything to have been back here, too. So it was cool. So Doug Mouton, who's our current sports director here right. at WWTV, he also used to be in news. Yes, he made the switch as well. He was doing the North Shore Bureau for yep. a long time. And he told us a story <laughs> about you two went to Tuscaloosa to cover. Or it wasn't no, Tuscaloosa. SEC, it was, it was the championship. SEC championship game. Against Atlanta. Right. I mean, I'm messing all of this up. Alabama. It was Alabama, LSU, Alabama, and Atlanta. And Doug no, was, I don't know who it was. It was LSU in the SEC championship game, but it was in Atlanta. In Atlanta. This right. was 2008. Right. It was a while ago. And Doug tells me that y'all are, it's after the game, LSU's won, and Les Miles mm-hmm. is talking? Should have been, yeah. It, was, it would have been Les, yeah. It was, I know, it was the, the, the LSU head coach was talking. They, it, we, the game had ended, Doug and I are on the field. So we're, you know, at that time, I am, I'm the, what am I, I'm the weekend, I'm the 10 o'clock news anchor. And he's the North Shore Bureau Chief. So both of us, we're just helping with the coverage. But So we're talking, and we go to a break, and Les Miles is talking. And in our ear, the producer goes, so do y'all want to come back and talk some more, or do you want to go to Les Miles? And Doug and I look at each other, go to Les Miles. So we went to Les Miles, and I'm like, yeah, because that's what people want to hear. So the 10 o'clock news anchor and the North Shore Bureau Chief <laughs> about this football game, other than the LSU coach. And I, Doug tells that story way better than I do. But it's like, like I look back, well, what were we? What did we talk about? I'd love to go back and look at that tape. I mean, we both are, you know, sports is kind of, it's inside of us, and it'll never leave. And and the thing about when you go to news, the the beauty of it is, is that you get to be a fan again. When when you go, when I became a sports anchor, the thing I hated most is that you you're not a fan. You lose that. You sit up in a press box, you wear a suit. When it's over, you go interview naked, sweaty men, and then you go back to work. And I'm like, okay, well, that's my job. Okay, but it really wasn't that fun, you know. I wanted to tailgate and go to the game, and all my friends would go, woo, we're going to Barber Street, come on down. I'm going to uh, do fourth down on four. I'll see you tomorrow. So, uh, but, so after when I went back to news, it took me a couple of years to, to get that fan back, and, but I did. In 06, we bought season tickets, and so it, it's cool to be a fan again. I love that part. Is there, because you do come from sports and that's something that um, you love, obviously, you've done uh, since you were a child, is there a game plan that you kind of take from your sports background and the way that you approach maybe a story that you create or a story that you produce for yourself? Do you kind of break it down in the way of, like, competitiveness? Yeah, it's competitive. I mean, it's always competitive. I think the heart of any story, whether you do it in sports, news, whatever, is the emotion. And the story and the person you're interviewing should be, you know, subjective. It should be about emotion. You be the objective part. Let them be the subjective part. You know, there's a book Al Tompkins wrote. It's called Writing for the Heart. And you write for the heart, you know. Don't worry for the brain. It's not about statistics and numbers. Write for the heart. And so I always went at stories that way. It's about the whoever that human element is. Is it Are they overcoming? Are they overachieving? Are they whatever? To me, there were always the better stories. There were always the, the, the star running back who's got 1,000 yards on a season. I, I, every, I, I guess it's a good story. I wanted to do the story on the running back who was beside him, who had to block him for him, who, had, who never got any of the accolades, who didn't get the stories, but he's the guy who opened up the hole for the guy who got 1,000 yards and got all the stories. And so, you know, and, and I carried that on through to where we are now in my new, you know, kind of chapter, which is just, I want to tell stories. I like telling stories. Speaking of stories. Uh Uh-oh. I hear you're afraid of flying. Oh, yeah. It's bad. But I'm not afraid of vodka and Valium. So, Ah. therefore. uh, (laughs) Takes the edge off. Yeah. uh, You don't. If you. Actually, you do. If you see me at an airport bar, plop a chair next down to me. I will buy you drinks till the cows come home. I don't like flying. I just don't like it. I don't like anything about it. I know it gets me there fast. I'm, I'm, it's safe. If you are in the airline industry, God bless you. It is the safest thing out there. I'm not, you know, begrudging the airline industry. Go get them. It ain't for me. I don't like it. 
don't like being that far off the ground. I didn't used to. I, I flew as, as a kid. It was okay. But then, and I don't know what, I guess I realized really what 35,000 feet is. Uh, and so, yeah, I, you know, I get to the airport two, three hours early, and I'm, I'll spend, uh, I'll spend a little time at the bar. I'm not going to lie. I, as people go, oh, my God, I go, well, I'm not flying the plane. <laughs> I'm just in, you know, row 16. And I get, I'll, I'll get an Uber or something afterwards or get wherever I'm going or somebody's picking me up. So, yeah, I'm, the plane would, let's put it this way, if the plane should go down, I, w- I wouldn't know it. <laughs> I wouldn't know it. I'd be asleep. Who told you that one? Tommy. Tommy. Well, he actually, he told me you guys had to fly to La Crosse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. That sounded like That's a... bad. Well, you can fly to Minneapolis pretty easily, but Minneapolis and La Crosse were those small planes, like you probably have never... I'm talking... No. Like the Cessnas? The Cessnas were the, like maybe 12 seats, 12 and seats. The, the barrier between you and the guy flying the plane was a curtain. And he just zing, and you go, oh, there really should be more than that, right? There's just you on one side, another person on the other, bouncing all over the place. No. And that is summertime storms. It was, ooh. He, he said someone had a seizure on the flight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were flying back. That was on a Saints plane. We were on a Saints. We were on a team plane that, at that one. Planes coming down uh, and bad weather, and then it, it kind of missed didn't miss it overshot it went back up turned around did the same thing again but somebody had had a seizure on the plane so they were in this real hurry to get this person on the ground so then they said we got to get on the ground so they got on the ground and it was it was one of the roughest landings we've ever been through it, mm-hmm. it, it jolted some people the people who didn't who weren't afraid of flying were on team hoss that night because it was nighttime <laughs> it was late you couldn't see anything it was a small airport it's you know so it was wow definitely we have one more story from Ms. Val Amity, who is the executive producer of the Iowa News. No one told news. me there were going to be stories. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to talk about my wife and my lovely kids and oh, how much I love too. New Orleans. I didn't know it would be stories. We're going to get to that, too. All right. We'll see, Val. So Val oh. said she always had a crush on you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She never said it. She always thought you were so cute. That's it? I have to respond to that? Oh, Val's the best. Val, Val and I were together... We've been together almost every Mardi Gras. Uh, we were together when the world was supposed to come to an end on when the clock struck 2000 and the Y2K. The K- Y2K. Y2K. Yeah. And so, uh, God bless the station, they decided we would do like all around the clock coverage of oh, no. Y2K. So when the, you know, when, when we went to midnight and we were on, on Bourbon Street doing our live shots, just like we do Mardi Gras, really, on the, on the balcony. And nothing happened, of course. And uh, so we've spent a lot of time together, uh, Val. And that's, uh, that is who I, uh, the, probably the personal person I kissed on New Year's Eve has been Val Amity on the balcony, <laughs> Y2K uh, on Bourbon Street. She so, might still be dreaming about it. Oh, good Lord. I think so. I think so. Sweet Val. She's, as you two know, she, Val is our executive producer here. She has worked here many, many years, worked her way up from a AP to a producer to a line person and on. And she... If everybody says, if I if you see me working as many hours as Val, just take me out of the street and, and run a car over me because I, she is the hardest worker, period. Yes. Period. It's just, it's it's you know, you can't get her to go home. You try. Everybody tries. It doesn't work. I mean, 12-hour days are good days for her. Mm-hmm. Good days for her. So Val's the best. Except for, you know. Will it be awkward now when you will have to walk back into the newsroom? I'm going to go give her a kiss right when I walk back in and just drive her crazy. Just go, hey, Val. I'm like, I'm, 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 hey, Val, how you doing, baby? Give it the eyes. <laughs> hey, Val. <laughs> well, she had a funny story, too. Yeah. She said she remembered you were up in Chicago covering the same <laughs> Chicago Bears game, and you it was so cold that you could not keep your teeth from chattering. I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. It was I'm a certain age. I'm 54 years old. That is the coldest I've ever been in my life, bar none. And you're from Virginia. From Virginia, been yeah. I've been skiing. I've been everywhere. I mean, I've been to Alaska. Uh, I, that's the coldest I have ever been. January 1990, Saints had just gotten into the playoffs with Morton Anderson's New Year's Eve winning kick. So I still remember some stuff. Uh, and so. Uh, Chicago, I mean, it was nighttime, 10 o'clock live shot. 
So, you know, you're standing out there to your live, you know, live headline at 10 o'clock, and then the sports is 10:20. The sat truck is like back in the day was two feet by three feet, and so and it was freezing. You couldn't get anywhere. So you literally stood outside to the point where my mouth froze. The, the contraption we always have in our ears is called an IFB. It froze. I could not talk. And so the producer at the time, Mike Schaefer, had taped it, you know, the off-air, because he see me standing there, and I'm like, and I, I won't say it, but I was cussing. I was like, I was like. And so finally, as we, you could see in my face that they're now, okay, we're going to go live. And then I kind of I started smiling. Like, yeah, that's right, Jim, the Saints in the Chicago. You know, like, you know, I'm miserable. And then for, you know, 18 seconds, you could, you know, I've survived on air. Then I was back cussing again. But that was bar none the coldest I've ever been. Bar none. Miserable. That's a really great story. So let's talk about more about your love with New Orleans, like you just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. After Frank Davis died, uh, who was kind of our cultural icon here in the city and, and at WWL TV, you kind of picked up um, his Naturally New Orleans yeah. pieces. Um, what was that like? Well, there's only one Frank. Let's, you know, there's never going to be another Frank. There's only one time. I mean, there's only one person to really do Naturally New Orleans like Frank, and that's Frank. So, and it really was, it was a couple of years after Frank had passed. We did, no, no one was going to pick up that baton uh, after Frank had, had passed. But, I had talked to Bill Siegel at the time, who was the news director, and I was like, you know, it's not, it's, no one, I didn't want to do the stories the way Frank did, because I'm not Frank. You can't do it. Frank would, you know, it was just about personality, and he never wrote a script. In script, are you kidding me? He would just go. He'd just be Frank. And I said, look, look that, I, I, that's not me, but I do think there's a great plethora of stories out there of New Orleans characters that we as a station are not telling anymore, and I would like to tell them whether we call it naturally known, you know, it is what it is. And so it, it had been a couple of years, and we, um, you know, decided we would bring the series back, but it would be different. I mean, you look at, you know, mine were features of the characters of New Orleans, and Franks were just Franks. I mean, they were what they were. They're gold, you know. And so we, we felt like it was important to bring them back just because, uh, you know, New Orleans is New Orleans, and let's showcase the, the true characters. But and I, I was smart enough and old enough in this business to know don't you can't be Frank. Don't be Frank. Don't try to be Frank. Just be who you are, and let the people tell the stories. And so, you know, I, I, I we don't know what it will be. It won't be naturally in Orleans. Pushing forward, whatever kind of stories I do for the station, I feel pretty certain will be along those character lines, you know, unique events, unique people, unique anything. Uh, but they won't be naturally in Orleans. I mean, that's that's frank. It is what it is. But, you know, I, I do feel those stories, especially for people that aren't – I didn't, I wasn't born and raised here. And so for people that – and we've got a lot of new people in this city post-storm uh, who don't really, you know, see the characters, feel the characters, really know what kind of unique city they're in. So, yeah, sometimes you got to show them. So House Communications is going to be a family business. It is. So talk a little bit more about working with uh, your wife. And, <laughs> and are you going to bring your daughters in? How, how's like it going to go? I'd like to. Um, my wife is a marketing sales uh, guru. She's a she's brilliant. She could sell anything to anybody. She's That's what her background is. Um, when she left the job market when we started having, having kids, Allison and Katie. And so she kind of left the job market. And so we decided to do this, and I decided to do it. She was trying to get a job just in, in marketing, and I said, like, you know, I told her, I said, social media is marketing. It is the new sales and marketing. You're just going to market, you're marketing different aspects. You're marketing us. You're marketing stories. You're marketing our business. And so talk to Mandy some, you know, about what the industry was like and what she might could do. And, and so she went to social media manager school, and she's still taking some classes in it now. And uh, it's interesting. I, we turned an office upstairs into Hoss Communications, so... She sits, our, we're back-to-back, but, you know, we are back-to-back, six feet apart, a lot more than, than ever before. And there are challenges, I'm not going to lie to you, um, but it's cool. It, it's really cool, and I'd love to get my daughters involved. Um, I, you know, it is, because it's, you know, we're, this is kind of an all-in moment for the horses, and so 
you know, when's a good time to walk away from a great job? Never. And so um, to start this chapter with two teenage girls and a mountain of debt and college on the horizon and weddings, you know, I'll probably need some psychiatric help at some point. But it's what we, uh, you know, we felt it was time to, to make to make the make the move. And I, yeah, I hope they all get involved. I think there is room. I mean, it's the unique part about it, you know, man, to tell you, I mean, the kids teach you social media. I'll go, Allison, here, fix this. I need help me do this, you know. And Katie, help me, you know. They're on, you know, they're on Snapchat and Instagram. You know, they hate it when we're on it, you know. But uh, so I hope so. It, it's, uh, I hope I hope it does well. It's, it's going to be an interesting chapter. And people like the idea of, you know, stories for websites and social media. So we'll see. And you met Betty Ann here in New Orleans. I did. I did. We met, or in fact, one of our first dates was that Chicago Bears game. Oh, wow. Actually, well, I say date. She was actually with, with a friend of mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had met Betty Ann several times at, through other friends, and she had a boyfriend at the time. And so I'd met her like four times, and every time I'd meet her, she'd go, hi, nice to meet you. And I'd go, yeah, I've met you before. We've met. We've met. So I didn't make a really good first impression, or maybe I didn't make any impression, but I stuck with it. And um, so she had broke up with that boyfriend and was dating an actual a friend of ours at the time, kind of friends. And so I had asked, I said, I wanted to ask her out. And she goes, well, you know, you have to talk to, you know, the guy I'm seeing. I don't want to mention his name, but, you know, everybody knows who I'm talking about. So I did. He's Ooh. like, sure, go get it. You know, we're friends. No big deal. And so we started dating in early 90s. You know, there were some off and on moments like any other you know, I, from the friend show, we were on a break. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, from the first moment I saw her at, at that club, wherever it was in Metairie, uh, I just kind of knew. I kind of knew she was the one, and took her a lot longer to figure that out than it did me. <laughs> uh, who are you again? Uh, so yeah, so in March will be 22 years. We got married in '95. Uh, so March 31st, 22 years. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been good. We have two, you know, teenage girls. We have two female dogs. I have two teenage daughters and a wife. It's a lot of estrogen. It's a lot of estrogen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I built a man cave. Did I tell you that? I built a man no, cave. No, you didn't. I built a man cave, and it's uh, 158 feet uh, from the main house. It's a garage separated from the house, so. I, I like that you know that it's 158 feet. I spend feet, a little time back five. there. I spend a little time back there. I'm not going to lie to you. And I know when to get back there. I can tell when I walk in and there are tears or screaming. And it's not about me. Frequently, it usually is. But this one, and so God bless them all. God bless you women. What what the Lord has thrust upon you <laughs> from a female standpoint. If that were guys, check it out. There'd be, that'd be, be no population. We'd be done. We'd be done. <laughs> That's tough, but there I've been very, very blessed with Allison and who's going to LSU next fall, and Katie, who's in ninth grade at De La Salle, and Betty Ann for twenty-two years, and her family is all here. Um, she's actually not from here; she she's actually from Canada, but oh, she had wow. been here her whole life from like you know seven years old. So we we are we're applying for local status. You know, you can't be locals here. We you know, but to me, if you have babies here. Because my daughters are locals. Exactly. But yeah. I think so there should be some type of dispensation for parents who have kids here who are not local, that we should get local status. It's going to be, I'm going to, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So I'm, I'm going to start some type of campaign for local status. Michael, I think you have that. I think people would be so surprised that you are not I think you're local. a New Orleanian. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. You I don't feel know. like I hope an so. outsider? Uh, no, God, no. Okay. No, because I, I, I was think, wondering where the sentiment comes no, from. No, no, no. I think I, I just, I don't know, because, you know, it's that whole where to go to school thing. Oh, and, yeah. I never oh. wrap my head around. And people get so well, disappointed, right, right, when you don't say when like. I, when I say James <laughs> Madison, I'm like, yeah, JMU, you know, and they're like, I mean, like, uh -uh. no, you know, crazy boy. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, because I think, and th this part I know is gospel. Um, when you come to New Orleans, it's, it's, it's. It's an awakening. You, you have to take a step back. And you either get it or you don't. And there's no in-between. And there's no, I'll get it in five, five. No, 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 no. You either get it or you don't. And it ta it, it's, it, New Orleans, as great as it is, is a little, it's a little secular. It's a little tight little, everybody knows everybody. And so when you come from out of town and you don't know anybody, 
it's tough because you didn't go to high school here. So that first few weeks, you know, I went to a movie like after like two months I was here and I was living out in Kenner by myself, didn't know anybody in New Orleans. I was kind of down. It was kind of like Sunday night. I'll go see a movie, Working Working Woman. This is a whole movie. <laughs> and so I it was just like kind of depressed. I was like, man, this is kind of a tough city here. And I went to the theater and I was the only person in the theater. And the guy at the top in the little window, he goes, hey, you ready? I went, yeah, start the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's sad it was sad I was like that was that was like a, and then and then I made a friend and a, a girl who was who was married to who ended up being the guy my best man at the wedding said she worked for Channel 8 both of them worked for Channel 8 and they she said come out with us we'll take you out and I got into a, a, a circle and that circle led me to two other circles and 50,000 other circles and it's the greatest thing in the world but I mean that until you have that circle, and people are very open to the circle because like they're closed, but until you have that circle, you ready to start the movie, loser? Let's go. Aww. I went to Jazz Fest by myself. Just walk around. Hey, hello. How you doing? Hi. 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 So anyway, that was, uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah. So, but now, yeah. So I, I do believe that that part is true. You either get it or you don't. And yeah. you know people who don't get it are like, you people are whack, man. What's, what are you talking about? Right. You know, you either get it or you don't. And I just got it. I just loved it. Loved the people. Loved the food. Loved everything about it. Yeah. Drive through daiquiris. Oh, the that's best. my That's my default, the drive through daiquiris. <laughs> <laughs> so you've worn so many hats here at the station. Sports reporter, uh, sports anchor, weekend anchor, uh, morning show anchor, uh, managing editor. Uh, you've also been the interim news director. Yeah, twice. Twice. Yeah. So what... For, through all of those roles that you've taken on, um, wh- what do you think you you'll, you'll take away from well, WWL? Well, I'm, I'm not I'm not the smartest egg in the egg carton. I'm not the most talented writer anchor out there, but I, I'll show up. I'll be at work. I'll be there early, and I'll stay late, and I'll do what has to be done, and I'll try to lead where I can, and I'll try to lead by example. It's pretty simple stuff. But uh, maybe it's because I'm not the, the, the smartest, greatest, that you sometimes work a little harder than, than, than you know. It was, I, I started in terrible markets, making no money. I kind of worked my way up. And so, you know, I, it was the hardest time in my life when I was the interim news director both times. Mostly the second time because it was, I was still anchoring mornings. So I would, you know, I would anchor mornings and then stay until 5, 30, 6 o'clock at night. And then you go home and go to bed. And did it for like six months. And so that was the hardest time professionally. Yet, of course, you know, one of the most rewarding. I just, I liked it. But, man, that's a hard job. That's just, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that job. So I, I just, I, you know, it is what it is. You, you work hard. You do your job. You do the best you can. And you move on. You know, you try to, if, if, if you, you know, you lead by doing what you do. You, you stand by your work. And it's you're judged by that work, and you hope that it stands up to the test of time. One thing Doug uh, also said was is that when you went from a position to where people in New Orleans would immediately know who you are, you become like an immediately um, recognizable person, that you made the transition with the least amount of ego. He said there's probably five or less people that he could name um, that didn't change when they were put into a position with uh, a lot of authority or um, immediate uh, recognition. Yeah, I don't know. I was never. It's never. That was never a driving force for me. Um, to to you know to be recognized or not. If you saw me on the weekend at the Winn Dixie or the hardware store, you would think we we should give that guy some money. <laughs> he look at him. Oh, oh, oh poor poor thing. God bless him. Wait, Chill out. that's my cost. No, I'm. T- I I I got. I just. I don't. You know. I have sweats and if I'm in the yard working and I have to go. To, I go to the store. You know, people are like, oh, what, what happened to you? I'm sorry. Oh, wait, you're the guy on TV. So, you know, I just think you are who you are. And if you, you know, if, if we, and I, you know, I didn't grow up, we didn't have social media. We didn't have cell phones at uh, bars with cameras. And we didn't have, you know, all this stuff. We didn't have where you were, you know, how many likes do you have? How many follow? You know, we didn't have any of that. So you just, you, you are who you are. My, my dad and my mom, I think humility Humility to me is the most important quality in a person, period. And I just, I've always felt that way. And you can't fake it. You either, you either have it or you don't. And I just, it was instilled in me as a 
a young man growing up that it was a very important quality, and I, I do believe it. My parents instilled it in me, and I just think it's the greatest quality. That's rich. That's rich, my cause. You like that, Mandy? I do. You do? Mandy yeah. Barton. Yeah, that's my new name. Well, I, I think we're wrapping up. We told a lot of stories about you. I thought we were just rehearsing. Uh, this was it? This was it. We this were is, taping? This is, I thought this was rehearsal. We're, we're about to print it. It's about to... <laughs> <laughs> this is live. I wish I would have been better prepared for stories. I didn't realize we were going to have stories. Well, we to- we had a lot of stories that people told about you. Do you have Do you have any final memories, outstanding stories, crazy interviews? We didn't talk about the moose. Yeah, the moose. The moose. People love the moose. God, can you imagine? I mean, yeah, the moose was just kind of we, – we, I, I used to go skiing every uh, spring. That's probably a good finishing point, the moose. And so we go skiing every spring. And so we, I, we went one year up in Utah, and I saw this hat, and it was a moose hat. <laughs> but the antlers and everything, and you just tied it underneath. It was just a hat, just a moose hat. And um, so I bought it and would wear it skiing. It was kind of the cool thing. So I bought it back. And then the first year I did Mardi Gras was out in Kenner with Judy Storch, who Keith Espros's wife was, was my weekend. I was in sports. She was the weekend anchor. And so we were sitting down, and, and I had a, I actually had a tux on and a moose hat. And, I, again, the statute of limitations. We started <laughs> the broadcast off with two shots of tequila. And I went, well, this is going to be interesting. And so we had a great time. And then the next year, I said, well, I, I kept the moose hat. People like the hat. I'll, I'll just create a, a costume. And I did. And... Then it became everybody else every year was like, oh, what are we going to be? What, 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 what's kind of popular? What's cool? What's in? What's topical? And I was like, I don't care. I'll just be the moose again. And then because it was easy and I'm lazy, two became four, four became eight. And then and I've had several costumes. It's not the same one. I do have a lot of heads, moose heads. I have a lot of moose heads. But I've had many, many costumes. Had a made by a woman in Kenner. My favorite year was out in Kenner. It was like five or six years in. And Betty Ann and some of my close friends from the Par Fours Bar and uh, uh, Parkway um, all got moose heads and moose costumes, just like mine. I mean, identical. And we were the crew of moose. And I'm on the air, and I hear this music, and they're coming down the street, and there's 15 of them in full (laughs) moose outfits, bombed. just And we're like, oh, my God. And so that was that was the coolest time. And so then it just became kind of, you know, who you kind of are. I mean, you know, one year rained and how I didn't lose my job that day. Good gosh. We were on the air and I was, I don't know, I was like Hamlet. I was just talking. <laughs> it was like soliloquy after soliloquy. And I, I, at one point my news director went, what are you talking about? It was just like. I was just pontificating about New Orleans in the day. And look at, the, I don't know, good Lord, I know. And so I called her the next day. I go, hey, uh, I still got a job, right? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it was cool. So, yeah, so this, you know, this is, I guess, allegedly my, you know, the 28th will be my final moose appearance. I don't know. Who knows? Oh. I don't like to say final or anything. Just, you know. I bet you'll we're be gonna back. We're going to have fun. We're going to, she and I are going to have fun. So we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see, yeah. Yeah, maybe you could just come back every year for Fat Tuesday. That's no, true. I want. That's the only thing I won't do oh. because I've never. Here's, had here's, a here's, I, right here's and this will fl- for people that are in New Orleans who are from here and you know, Kagan, you're from down the Bayou a bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm. I've lived here 28 years. I've seen Argus. I've never seen Rex. I've never seen Zulu. Never seen it. Not a float. Period. Wow. I've been at Argus and I've been. On bourbon, so I've been without my family now for the last ten years on Mardi Gras Day. You know, bourbon street's fun, but you know the kids ain't coming down. Right. So, you know, I'm gonna have a Mardi Gras or two with my family, and so that, I look forward to that. And I might be in a moose suit. I don't know about that, but I mean, uh, I've, I've, I've people go, "What do you mean?" I go, "I've never seen Rex." What do you, you broadcast here? I've never seen it. I've never seen Float. Never seen Zulu. So, I got, I got some New Orleans work to do. You've earned it, Mike Hoss. Thank you. You get to be a fan again. I do. That is well, perfectly. We're back to where we started, Andy. A great storyteller. You come back to the top. You're right. I get to be a, a Mardi Gras fan again. I can't wait. Well, we are a fan of you, and we appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Thank you. This was good. This was a great idea. You should Thanks do this. So this is good. People get to kind of 
see some of the inner workings of the story. Now, all I know, I want to be the person to tell some stories on other people. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, maybe we'll have yeah. a part two. Right. Definitely. No, I don't understand when, when, when people, you know, start their next chapter, come to me and go, tell me about oh, blank. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Uh, I got some stuff. Oh, we will. I got some stuff. You guys are the best. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> thank oh, you. thank you. Fourth Degree is produced by Joshua Detige, Kagan Moore, and Mandy Thomas. Visuals are provided by Joshua Detige and Lakeith Holmes. The show was engineered by Ed Merritt and is taped at the WWL-TV studios in New Orleans, Louisiana. To listen to this episode or any episodes in the Fourth Degree, visit WWLTV.com or download the free WWL-TV app. Thank you for listening. This is the Fourth Degree.